Well, I was, uh, this week I was working on my message and I was uh, struggling a little bit and felt like I maybe not have enough content and I always forget this is first Sunday, we got a message on the offering, we got a message on, we got to do, so, uh, so now I've probably got more than enough, <laughs> but that's God, right? Let's spiritualize that one. God's more than enough, right? So um, we've been talking about worship last couple of weeks. We've been talking about um, how there's a, a war that's our soul is, is in when it comes to worship because um, there's a lot of things in this life that is fighting for our love, fighting for our affection, fighting for your time, it's not being polite about it. It's not being coy. There's no subtleties to what's out there that's demanding from you every day. They don't ask you. They're not, they, they're, it is a demand in every level. And we have lots of opportunities to worship other things besides God. We have lots of opportunities to give our time to give our money to little gods, little g-gods who don't matter at all. We've been talking about, if you think you don't know what you might be, you know, artificially worshiping, all you got to do is look at the trail of your time and your money. When I used to do a lot of financial coaching, and I would sit down with a couple in crisis and inevitably we have to get into where are you spending your money and I could tell you exactly where their heart was just by looking at their checkbook I could tell you what was important to them and what wasn't important to them and the same thing applies to us what we do with our time what we do with our money we are declaring something's worthy and that's what we've been talking about but today, I really, I want to talk about something that I think is, is absolutely tied to worship. I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about presence of God. And I know we've, we cultivate the presence of God here, we sing about it, but I really want to talk about it, and I want to lay a foundation for the presence of God, and, and I want to talk about the presence of God being uh, the tangible evidence that God is near us. You know, one of the <clears throat> very, very unique qualities about our God is His omnipresence. There are no other gods that can be everywhere all at the same time. Our God alone, unlike all other gods, is everywhere all of the time. As a matter of fact, David says in Psalm 139 and verse 7, he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Do we have that scripture ready up there, guys? I want to make sure we all get this. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. 
If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is bright as day. For darkness is as light with you. Our God is an always around kind of God. He's like oxygen. He's, you know, no matter where you go on this planet, you're going to find him. He's there. We even sing songs uh, about how God is like the air we breathe, right? You know, if, if we were a boat, God would be the ocean. If we were a kite, God would be the wind. If we were an umbrella, God would be the rain. He's always around us. And I, I think sometimes um, that because God is always around, I think sometimes we treat him like he is common. Like water is. Because he's always around, we, we treat him like he's the wind. Oh, well, there's the wind. It's blowing today. You know, I, unfortunately, I'm guilty of that. Um, I'm guilty of relating to God sometimes <laughs> like he's a rainy day, you know? Um, instead of relating to him like he's a tropical waterfall, Right? You know, both have water coming down on my head. It's, uh, the problem is one is ordinary and average, and the other is exhilarating and refreshing. You know, God's Spirit is constantly emanating an invitation to us to encounter Him. It's always there. It's always present. There is always an invitation his, his door is never closed. But sadly, I think we, we go about life sometimes without so much as even accidentally bumping into him like a, we would a, busy, a person on a busy street. You know, sometimes I can be guilty of treating God like he's a, a blockbuster movie. You know, I, I make a plan to go be awed and wowed and for a couple of hours. And then when it's over, I go back to my normal, boring life. You know, I think sometimes that's how we view church. I think that's how we view church camp. Conferences, you know. And I, I, I believe that we have to have those mountaintop experiences. I really do. We have to go and have these mountaintop experiences. But, but when we get back to the valley, I think sometimes we, we quickly lose the awe and the wonder of his presence. Now, again, I'm all for mountaintop experiences. I love them and I think we all need them. 
I think we all need them desperately. And as beautiful <coughs> as the mountain of God is, we still have to learn to fall in love with the abiding presence of God. We have to learn to fall in love with the abiding presence of God like we would if he was a sunrise or a starry night. You know, both of those things are very familiar. They're very predictable. They're always there day after day, but yet they're still very beautiful. But we have to stop long enough to notice that beauty that's right there. You know, maybe maybe you treat the presence of God like a random date night. You're waiting until life slows down or you're in a crisis and you realize the relationship is in a deficit and you need to invest some extra time with this special someone so that things can kind of get out of the hole. Now, again, I think date nights are wonderful. They're necessary. They are special and they definitely add to the richness, to the depth of that relationship. But date nights can never be a substitute for the daily encounters of love. Well, guess what? It's the same with God. And again, we, we need all of the special moments that we can have with God. But it's a daily walk of encounter that God is longing for from us. And while I'm stepping on toes, I'll just go ahead and hit the most selfish one. I think sometimes... Uh, the most selfish way that we encounter the presence of God. I think it's when we come to encounter God only when we want something. And at this point, we're treating God's Holy Spirit like He's a prostitute. Taking what we need and then just walking away until the next time I have a need or a crisis. Now listen, make no mistake. I, I know and God knows that we are needy people. I am high maintenance with God all the time. God knows we are needy. He knows we are helpless. He knows we are completely dependent upon Him. And He never wearies. He never wears out over the constant requests that we make. He never fatigues over the poverty that is in our bodies and in our souls. 
But God is more than a sugar daddy. He is more than a cosmic genie in a lamp. He gave us salvation so that we could encounter him. He ripped the veil and destroyed the division that was between us and him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15 it says, Yes, to this day whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Glory to glory. There's nothing separating us from God when we have Jesus. Our God is a God who wants to encounter us every single day of our lives. And He has made it abundantly clear throughout the pages of His Word. You know, in the very very beginning, God was orchestrating an encounter with him. You know, imagine just for a moment that you're Adam or that you're Eve. And here's God and he has created you in his very image. He has chosen to set you apart from every other kind of life on the planet. No other creature has the capacity to engage God like you do. In fact, you literally had the very creator of the universe breathe his own life-giving breath into you. No other creature has that special place in God's creation. And so God formed you uniquely and he created this special garden. This vast place of beauty. And, you know, and he, he puts it there just so you can encounter him. Just so you can meet with his presence. So you can have a daily dose of the creator of the universe. And you know, the garden, it was, it was the perfect marriage of delicate beauty while also very rugged and wild and untamed with the mandate to go out and conquer it. And we know that God's plan was to fellowship with Adam and Eve. Because the Bible tells us that God was looking for them one day. He was in the garden wanting to hang out with his human family. Unfortunately, we know that Adam and Eve had sinned. 
by disobeying God. And because of that, God had to then banish the man and the woman from the garden, which then broke that unhindered fellowship that they had experienced. But here's the thing, we cannot forget that God's original plan was for you and me to have a tangible, everybody say tangible, to have a tangible encounter with the presence of God. And God was not about to let sin stop him from pursuing me. He wasn't going to let sin stop him from pursuing you. God would make himself known to man in tangible, visible ways throughout the whole Bible. Now there are lots of ways, lots and lots of ways that God has made his presence known to mankind. But one way God displays his tangible presence is by what the bible calls the glory of god everybody say the glory of god the glory of god God is one of these powerful ways that god has revealed himself now the tyndale bible dictionary defines glory as that which god possesses in his own right a visible extension of his nature, a concrete form of his divine presence. Concrete. That means real, actual, hard. You can feel it, see it, hear it. Real. And one of the ways that God chose to reveal his glory that we can see every day is in the heavens. The heavens are a visible form of God's presence because they are his glory. Psalm 8 verse 1 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 19 and verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. You get that? Every day. Today is pouring, it's talking to us. Tomorrow we'll be talking to you. The next day we'll have a conversation with you too, if you listen. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. It's all screaming. It's screaming at us. It's texting us in all caps. God is here. Look up, silly person. He's here. Look. This is crazy. Look at a tree. Look at waves. 
Look at bugs. Look at stars. Do you see him? He's right there. Every day, you're being told God exists. Every day, we are being told his glory is visible for us to see. Another form of God's glory that the Bible talks about is in fire and in cloud. God's glory appears in clouds and often clouds are associated with his presence in that they surround him. Exodus 19 and verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. Wow, that's, a, that's quite an endorsement. You know, many times God, when God comes to dwell in the tent of the meeting or the tabernacle or even the temple, clouds would fill that space. It would rest upon them. Exodus 33 and verse 9 says, When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. God also talks about um, descending in the clouds. He would come and rest in a cloud when he would invade space like the ark in the temple. In a vision, Ezekiel sees God's presence leave the temple and it is accompanied by clouds. Isaiah prophesied that God would put a cloud and fire above the whole of Mount Zion. These are not metaphorical clouds. It was the real stuff. Fire is another way that God shows his glory to us. In Psalm 50 in verse 3 tells us, The fire goes before God, it says in verse 3, Our God comes, and he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, and around him a mighty tempest. I like that version of God. You know, we have, even when God manifests himself to Elijah, guess what happens? A fire precedes him. Now, God wasn't in the fire, but it went before him. When Abraham and God make a covenant, remember God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And, and he tells Abraham to get these animals and to sacrifice them and prepare them. And so after Abraham prepares them, God shows up and he walks between the divided animals, the sacrifice and the manifestation as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. We see uh, God speaking to Moses from a flame of fire in a bush that won't burn up. It's not metaphorical. 
And then we have God leading Israel out of Egypt with a pillar of fire. And his, and his glory appears to the people on Mount Sinai in fire and smoke. Exodus 24, verse 16, says, The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain inside of the people of Israel. We even have God showing himself as fire in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We can even see the glory of God in the fire that is found in the eyes of Jesus. Revelation 19. And then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. God reveals himself through fire. Now there is a term that we don't hear very much. It, I haven't at least for a while. Maybe I'm in the wrong parts of the internet or not watching the right people on videos. But there's a term we don't hear much. And it used to be popular by charismatics years ago. And it's the term, the Shekinah glory. Remember that? That was a hot buzzword. Shekinah. You got to say it a little draw. You got to get your preacher on. Shekinah glory. It's the Shekinah. There's books about it. There's ministries named after it. <laughs> I know. I looked and saw them all. Google shows you everything you want to know. So here's the thing, though. Shekinah, which is a real word, it's actually a transliteration of a Hebrew word that's not actually in your Bible. There's nowhere in your Bible you can find the word Shekinah. But it is a word that the rabbis used in many of their writings. And it was a word that they used to speak of God's manifest presence and literally the term means that which dwells and it would be silly for us to not observe that it is implied throughout the whole bible in all the places where god um god's nearness is in either a person or an object or his glory the concept of the shekinah of god all throughout the Bible. A really great example of this, I think, is in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 6. 
says, Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the Ark, so that the cherubim overshadowed the Ark and its poles. And the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. And, there, and they are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Now, I deeply appreciate what Pastor Eric said this morning about the glory, where it lives. It is really in our hearts. But that's not the only place it lives. There are moments in time in history where God's manifest glory shows up in the room. It exists, and we have many stories about God's glory showing up in manifest form. I think one of the most powerful stories that we're all probably very familiar with is William Seymour. And I'll just read a little excerpt about William Seymour. This is Azusa Street. This is the birth of Pentecostalism. The spirit began to fall in Los Angeles as people were radically filled and walked out into the streets speaking in tongues. Crowds began to grow at these home meetings where Seymour was living with a host family. Before long, they were preaching from the front porch as people filled the streets to listen. Eventually, they moved into an old horse stable at 312 Azusa Street. It was in this stable in 1906 that the Pentecostal movement was officially born. People would fall over and weep. They would speak in tongues. They would laugh, jerk, dance, and shout. They would wait on the Lord for hours. Sometimes saying nothing. Many times Seymour would often preach from his knees. Prayer lasted all day and all night. Firemen were even dispatched to Azusa Street because people saw a fire, which was actually just the visible glory of God resting on the exterior of the building. Similar occurrences have happened in a number of revivals, like the Indonesian revival, as recorded by Mel Tari in the 1970s, where firemen were also dispatched to a glory fire that was visible to everyone around. 
missionaries began coming to Azusa Street from around the world to catch the fire. People would fall over, get saved, and begin speaking in tongues blocks away from the building, even though no one had prayed for them. And they had no idea what was going on at the Azusa Mission. Parishioners would also hit the streets, knocking on doors with little bottles of oil and asking to pray for the sick. Seymour sought first and foremost to cultivate the presence of God in his meetings. If someone felt led, they would stand up and begin to pray or preach. And if the anointing didn't seem to be on that particular person, that person would sometimes get a gentle tap on the shoulder and told to hush up. So don't get butt hurt when we say you can't give that. <laughs> We're all sensitive to your feelings here, but we will say no. <laughs> Truly, the Spirit of God was the leader of those meetings. That was just last century. My own experience with it was probably back in 1998, 1999. I was playing guitar for Dave Noel, and we were traveling the Midwest, and we would play a conference, play do wor- lead worship at a conference every year called Young Lions Conference. And um, I was leading the, wor- the, the youth ministry at that time as well with my wife and a few others, and we were taking youth out to this conference to get God. And uh, this year we went to the conference. Again, I, I don't remember if it was 98 or 99. It might have been 99. So we were there. We were in this conference, and we were, it was just intense. It was heavily intense. It was a very prophetic time. And then God started manifesting in, in the meeting. And he started manifesting in the form of gold. And people, you know, I'm on stage, I'm playing, so I just barely, I just, all I get is kind of the the monitor and my speaker, and you're kind of in a bubble. But you start to see people kind of freaking out extraordinary (laughs) than they would at a conference. And and so they finally, someone grabs a mic and, and starts to talk about what's happening. And people are walking around and you can see it, it's on their arms, it's on their hands, it's on their clothing, it's on their face, and this is before glitter was super popular. <laughs> it was crazy. And, one of, and so our, our, our youth went back to the room that night, and one of the girls, it was all in her hair, and you could see it, and so they took her over to a Bible, And they started to brush her hair and literally was brushing the gold dust out of her hair into the Bible. It was right there. But then the most powerful thing to me that happened was there was one of our girls that was there. She had a an old chrome cap. You know, they used to do the chrome caps on your teeth, right? 
you can look inside a person's mouth and you can see that's chrome or whatever the material is. It's, it's a silverish. And these group of our girls start freaking out and screaming. And we're like, well, what's going on? And they go, uh, Tammy's cap got turned to gold. And we're like, what? And so we're all in this poor girl's, <laughs> this poor girl's mouth, and we're all just like, and it, clear as day, is a solid gold cap on her tooth. It was one of the most amazing things I think I'd ever experienced. God's glory is real, and it's tangible. Um, next week, I'm going to continue to look at God's manifest presence in the Bible. I'm, I want to lay a foundation that it's, it's real and it's for us, and this isn't something of fairy tales. God's presence in our encounter with Him is absolutely necessary. Your encounter of His tangible presence is necessary. So this week, I, I just I want to ask us to press into worship. I want us to press into God like we have our own Azusa Street to birth. God has specifically told us as a church to get ready. The Lord prophesied to us. He says, I'm coming. There's going to be a visitation. Get ready. Are we going to get ready for this? Are we going to take the personal presence of God serious? Are we going to be a people who press in so much that we won't let up until we find something? Until we receive something, until we experience something. 